Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Oh, you're fine. This is like a found footage podcast. It is. <laughs> it's like, what is this strange recording that we uncovered? <laughs> what are... <laughs> it was under my pillow all this time. <laughs> That's going to be our legacy. We're going to be a found, it's going to be found audio and it'll, it, it will be horribly boring because there will be no superpowers, uh, no witches. Right. Yeah. But that's that sounds, us found. That sounds really boring. And lost again. Uh, how you doing, Andrew? I'm good. It's been a busy week. You're in. Uh, you got. How? Let's let's just do a little bit of a recap. We do a little bit of a recap on the old Joe show. Sure. Man, you guys are getting some accolades. Yeah, it's we've played in four film festivals and we've won four awards. So I guess I that's. That. I guess that means off to a good start, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's a it, fascinating. You know, I got. I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen the whole thing. But you've seen some of it. I have. And I was riveted. And then they changed the password. Oh, I, yeah. 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 I got hosed by a password change. But let me tell you, this is this is a film people should see. Uh, well, hopefully they will. We're going to be playing at a few more film festivals coming up soon. In fact, in, when we go to the Beverly Hills Film Festival uh, at the end of the month, uh, even though Sheriff Joe really hates the movie, he and this just proves the point of the film. Yes. He is going to come with us to Hollywood because he wants to walk the red carpet and be a part of the whole thing out there because, again, he knows it's all about the press and the publicity and getting his name in the paper. Yep. And it's just it just really speaks very highly. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. In kind of a sad way. That is the <laughs> ultimate testimonial for this documentary. It absolutely the is. ultimate testimonial. So where can people, I know it's still in festivals, but you, and I know you and I have talked about this. I refresh me. You, it's not coming to a place where the masses can see it until when like it's um, on TV, right? It's going to, it's going to hit uh, KO. It will first. be, it will be on investigation discovery. Okay. Um, as early as September, if the, uh, if it doesn't end up getting some sort of a theatrical release beforehand. Okay. All right. So, and then we have an international distributor right now, actually, literally right now, at a, uh, a kind of a, a market in Europe called MIP TV, where they're working furiously at selling it to international audiences. Although, in that case, it's pretty much going to be like a condensed one hour version that will be sold to uh, TV overseas. It's not very good if it's condensed. I know. Who, buys, gotta... who buys abridged? <laughs> Reader's Digest fans. Uh, you know, it was abridged. <laughs> the Star Wars Holiday Spectacular. 
<laughs> That's what you get on TV. That's, that was just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh well it's uh, it, that's fantastic i it, it is a fascinating look at a, a really unusual character and who is in a strange position of power it is it really is and and just kind of what happens when when you get power hungry i guess and it's yeah. it's just the frightening aspect is i mean it's obviously already frightening when politicians start kind of seeking that level of fame but when that politician happens to also be head of law enforcement it does become kind of frightening right. and dangerous so yeah. but yeah people can go to uh, facebook.com slash joe show doc to uh, find out where it's going to be playing next excellent go do that people it's really it's worth seeing worth seeing especially if you're in europe you can see the star wars spectacular version <laughs> that's right uh well uh, so i imagine you're so but you've seen nothing right you're not caught up on anything Surprisingly, because it, I was, uh, you know, I, I got to go to the film festival all weekend, and so I was at the film festival. Oh, I, was film I guess festival you saw movies. films all weekend. I was, I was watching non-film festival movies. I was basically watching movies all weekend, which is great. I loved it. What's the What's the big uh, highlight for you? Just give me the Give me the top three. Well, um, I saw a great doc called GMO OMG, which makes isn't, you isn't that clever. <laughs> I, it was very clever. Makes you worry in a very palindromical way. Can I? I I'm not sure if that's a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, about you know everything you're eating, and it really is kind of a depressing documentary because it's like, yeah, there's pretty much no chance of eating anything healthy. Right. So tough it up and just eat what we give you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grim. So that's what I learned out All of right. that one. All right, excellent. Uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Oh, tell me what you think. Because you're on I, the record as not liking the first one at all, like, not one right. bit. It, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I there were moments, but uh, on the whole, I found the first one a little boring. Yeah. Um, this one I actually really enjoyed. I enjoyed the way that they tied it to kind of, you know, the kind of the political zeitgeist now of, you know, uh, the government kind of becoming Big Brother is watching and controlling you sort of thing. And I enjoyed that aspect of it. I felt of uh, really my biggest complaint. I don't know if it's a complaint so much. The fact that the Winter Soldier, the titular Winter Soldier, um, he's not kind of very central. <laughs> right. He's like not the point, right? He's, no, not at all. And it's like, well, that's kind of a strange title. Yeah. Uh, and I talked to a buddy who's really into Captain America, and he says, oh, that's because he's going to be the big part of the third one. I was like, well, then why didn't they call the third one the Winter Soldier? Right, exactly. This was a little much. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I still really enjoyed it. I thought uh, everything about it was actually uh, pretty good. I mean, it's it's you know it's it's really good in the context of the Marvel Universe films. I mean, I I think Iron Man is probably still my favorite, and then this is probably second, and then everything else comes under there somewhere. Well, you know what? I, I there was a, a special on um, it. It preempted, I guess, one of the weekly episodes of. Um, uh, Agents of Shield on on TV, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it was a it was an hour doc on uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was it was to prepare you for Winter Soldier to understand what Marvel was doing by ge- going back in time and looking at the building of the Gestalt of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was really fascinated by it, mostly because, you know, as we look back and and armchair kind of history, um, you know, we have this sense that, oh, my gosh, they were really building something from the beginning. Uh, And the the big lesson out of that was, wow, 
we had no idea what this was going to become when we did Iron Man. We shoestringed it together. We had like very little support. We had to sell it. We had no clue what was going to come afterwards. And we were really stunned that people actually loved the movie and uh, wanted to see more. And so every like every left turn in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was, you know, uh, just this hard fought kind of clumsy stumble through building something that's turning out pretty grand. Um, you know, the, the other point that they brought up that I thought was really interesting was now they're in this position of taking uh, that Marvel is in position of owning, um, these characters that normally are dropped into this genre of superhero movies, right? Superhero as a subgenre of action film. Right. And this is one that they're calling, uh, gosh, what are they calling it? They're calling it like the Cinematic Universe Wave 3, where now these characters are being put into films that are decidedly in their own genre. Like that the, the Amer- uh, Captain America films are in the like thriller, espionage, spy, political thriller genre. And they happen to star a guy who wears a superhero uniform, but that could be anybody. They want it to compete with the likes of, you know, James Bond and those sorts of things. And so they're moving in that direction with that property. And they're moving in other directions with these other properties that, you know, some obviously we get the science fiction fantasy with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And so they're all moving in these new directions and they come together for these big tent poles like the Avengers. But uh, we can expect more differentiation in genre com- going forward. And I think that's really interesting. The other one is, you know, they talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and what that does. Does to give a, a broader look at the storylines that uh, you know that we often don't see, and they you know the Marvel shortcuts um, uh, that that focus on Coulson and and um, kind of the behind the scenes agent work, and now Agents of Shield gives them that sort of soap opera, uh, which I should add, if you haven't caught up with the last couple of episodes, are are it's really I mean it was kind of tedious for a while there, but it's I'm really entertained by that show now. Hmm. Um, it is it's it's darn good so it's, it's kind of found its legs then, it huh? totally has it totally i i really think so i mean i know there are still people who don't give it much um, much time day but i'm very interested in these characters and i think that's uh i think it's interesting what they're doing with them so well and, and definitely with the expansion into like yeah. the uh, netflix shows and everything like that uh, i'm very much looking forward to that so i you know i think it's really an interesting uh concept yeah, yeah. yeah well, well i haven't seen it yet though winter soldier well, you'll see it at some point. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm probably this week, uh, this coming yeah. week. Yeah, uh, yeah. I haven't seen anything. Been traveling. I did my <laughs> did my did yeah. my big blues trip. That's awesome. Spent that. You know, let me shout out to the people of Mississippi. Uh, what if you're in Mississippi now, or if you have been to Mississippi? What an amazingly beautiful state. Uh, it was just gorgeous. And we've been from Cypress Bog to Plantation to, I mean, it's just an amazing study of the history of this state and, and how it came to be what it is. And everybody there that we ran into, every restaurant, every, uh, every guest, I mean, people were just so kind and generous and gentle and welcoming. And it was just a real treat to travel that state for the last uh, little over a week. So nice. um, thank you, Mississippi. I'm so glad I learned how to spell you when I was young. (laughs) 
Hey, this is the next reel. Thanks, everybody, for joining us and listening to this fancy uh, internet uh, spectacular. Uh, I'm Pete Wright. <laughs> that over there is Andy Nelson. Hey. Hmm. Like and like where you're going with that. You are a gentleman. <laughs> and uh, we uh, spoil movies each and every week. Uh, you can find out more about the movies that we spoil at thenextreel.com. We encourage you to go there, read the blog stylings of the goodly uh, Steve Sarmento. Uh, you can head over to any of the fabulous uh, social platforms uh, and join the conversation there. Uh, and, of course, you can look for all the films that we are going to talk about in 2014 uh, on our Letterboxd watch list. Uh, and uh, so I think that's... Uh, that's about it now. You know, you know I will what? say, yeah. you know what movie is not on our list over oh, the letterbox? announcement. Uh, it's announcement time. Announcement time. <laughs> right. <laughs> As we said last week, we picked our listener's choice uh, winner, and that was Alexander C. Curran. And he has picked his movie. <laughs> and it's pretty exciting. We are going to be talking not... Uh, next week, but the week after, after our found footage series is wrapped up, we are going to be talking about none other than the introduction to mind-blowing special effects and an amazing story, The Matrix. <laughs> and an amazing story. <laughs> and a uh, fancy leather outfit and, uh, and yeah. sunglasses. And special pills. <laughs> and special <laughs> pills. Special places. The Matrix. <laughs> uh, are you looking forward to talking about The Matrix? I am. I really love that movie. And then we and can follow it up with The Matrix 2 and 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one day. You know, I, 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 I will say. Yeah. There's room on the 2015 schedule which <laughs> could put on <laughs> those two films. Just to finish it up, hey, we did talk about Crystal Skull for Pete's but sake. I'm telling you. Why not you. throw those on there? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Rush. <laughs> That's right. right? I'm not. I'm telling the you, that, we could the do. That killed the name of our podcast. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we could do those other two Matrix films, and I'm betting you, Andrew, that those films would not be at the bottom of our list. But I bet at least one of them would not crack the top 100. No, I'm, I didn't uh, say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying they wouldn't be at the bottom. That bottom spot is cherished real estate. Yes. So, that's all I'm yes. saying. In its own weird way. <laughs> no, I'm very much looking. I, too, am very much looking forward to talking about The Matrix. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching it again. It's been a long time. And, and uh, so I'm looking forward to checking that out. So the week after next, we're going to be taking on The Matrix. And that'll be a little one-off. You know the the Blu-ray has four commentaries. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> it's a lot of audio to listen to. The most interesting one that piques my curiosity is actually they have a pair of philosophers. <laughs> of course they do. Yes. Uh, Pretty interesting. So weighty. Well, I I can't wait. Uh, it's going to be great. I just uh, just picked that one up. I get you know they do the bundles on iTunes. You know the oh, HD yes. bundles. I picked that one up cheap. Uh, of all three of them in HD, I didn't have those. So. They've got the iTunes uh, extras on there. There are a couple of commentaries, but not the Blu-ray ones. Right. Um, all right. And with that, let's... Should, wait. No. Should we talk? Oh no, we got we got another one. This is good week because we skipped this last week. We've got to talk about. Uh, this is what I was really looking forward to the most. I don't know how to introduce it anymore now that you've got a whole team. <laughs> That's right. 
it's a little uh, it's a little workforce here. It is. Uh, it really, I shouldn't say workforce. It's really Eight. Robot Gremlin, aka uh, <laughs> Steve Smart, who has really taken to uh, this Instagram uh, uh, challenge, and has it's no longer Andy's feeble attempts at trying to beat the people. <laughs> no, no. Andy no, has outsourced is... a uh, level up in game. Is that what you're saying? I, I think that's what it is. Yes. Because this if week, you, if, you, if you can't cut the mustard, get somebody better than you. <laughs> Uh, so he, we've, we, last week was not, uh, I think it was last week was not great, right? Last week was a, was a moderate no, it was actually, stomping. It was actually, it was actually two weeks ago. Two weeks ago was a moderate it's been a stomping. Few weeks since we've had right. this. So yeah. Uh, and yeah. then the, this week, I think it, in particular was, uh, it's pretty strong. This week and last week were both pretty strong. Yeah. yeah. In uh, two weeks ago, uh, the movie was Solaris the Steven Soderbergh remake. And, uh, you know, something that uh, Steve and I have learned is um, the whole idea of Google searching for images. And this is something I never caught on to, but <laughs> he was smart enough to look into it. Um, yes, you can actually just type in a few keywords, and and it's amazing what Google does for you. <laughs> and, uh, yes, it was actually very easy to, to search on some of those key images for Solaris. Yeah. Uh, well, especially be, the cockpit. I think the cockpit was. Well, but, uh, it, was it, the very found... first, it was the very first image of the uh, the hands holding the doorknob. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so uh, so B lot twenty three nineteen. Oh yeah, he totally yeah. crushed it in the third nailed comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So figured that one out pretty easily. The, then the following week, it took uh, quite a bit. In fact, it wasn't until. Um, the last image when we had to show a picture of Ethan Hawke. And, uh, and then it was just a series of rambling all the Ethan Hawke movies you could think of until someone nailed it. <laughs> and it was The Woman in the Fifth, which is a, a movie. We had talked about that trailer on the show. Yeah, that's right. A little while back. And uh, yeah, and um, uh, Stephen watched it and uh, pulled some images from it. Some great images, oh, too. Oh, they're great images. Absolutely. Yeah. And Joe Miha uh, managed to finally uh, guess Woman in the Fifth, and yeah. he was right. And I, then this past, <laughs> this past week, you know, it's it's he he was very smart. He took people on a a journey, uh, took them on a road that definitely led away from the movie that it actually was. And it was a lot of horror guesses this past week. It was the road, and yeah. uh, you know everything from The Conjuring to Skeleton Key. And I think it really threw people um, until those last couple images. And I will say uh, that um, Hunt Thug Nasty did kind of guess it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't give it to him, but I, I did decide that I'm going to actually give it to both. Hunt Thug Nasty just said, "Do I spy a starving Vigo Mortensen?" Oh yeah, he's got yeah. Being cute and clever, and yeah. I wasn't going to give it to him because he didn't actually say the title of the film. And then Joe Miha came in and, and said the road. So you know what? I decided I will give them both an entry for that, in even though prize. I think from here on out, you got to put the name of the movie in your comments. Even if you want to be snarky, make sure you follow up your snarky comment with the real title. Because <laughs> <laughs> for all I know, he was going to say, do I spy a starving Vigo Mortensen? It's clearly... Um, what's that one where he was racing across the desert on a horse? <laughs> <laughs> Hidalgo. Hidalgo, right. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That doesn't look like Hidalgo at all. Uh, I, 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 I don't... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> these are awesome what a great uh what a great pull looking yeah. forward to next week that's fantastic so all of those people have been entered into our pony prize contest which we will give one of these days it's coming <laughs> it's coming it's coming this year this is uh, going to be the yeah. year this is going to be i think it's going to be the way we wrap up the year that's it's what I'm thinking. 2018 about. anymore. We decided to do a bump no, it up. No, but let me. Jesus. You bet your uh, bottom dollar when we hit 2018. Uh, it'll be get ready because it's a doozy. Yeah, that's right. It's a, doozy. a new car. <laughs> Maybe not. That's not a promise. That's not a promise. <laughs> uh, at no point will a new car be given for the pony prize. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, excellent. Well, do we have any other updates for the people? I think that's it. Let's do trailers. Okay. um, I don't know. I feel sort of like... I know you're going to be channeling some rage. (laughs) Don't you think? A little bit? I'm going to go first, and we're just going to see... This may be a tough segment for you. I I may... I may (laughs) get angry. This uh I'm I'm doing a uh, Robin Williams film. Trailer came out this week for The Angriest Man in Brooklyn. It is supposedly a comedy uh in which a foul-tempered Brooklyner is told that he has uh 90 minutes to live. And so it's an amends film where he's rushing all over New York to uh to make good with all of the people that he has been angry with. Uh, film also stars Mila Kunis and Peter Dinklage, and and uh, was directed by Phil Alden Robinson, written by Daniel Taplitz and Asi Dayan. Phil Alden Robinson of Field of Dreams fame. Yeah, yeah. Now, Andy, I you know, had I not known what I know. I would think this movie is fairly clever. I'm glad to see Robin Williams in a film, uh, uh, you know, in in another film. Uh, It feels like it's been a while since he's done anything of note, but he really has been in, he's he's been in other stuff. Um, You know, he's done a lot of voiceover stuff, but it's been, you know, it's been a couple of years. Um, He was Teddy Roosevelt in Night at the Museum. He did the Happy Feet films and, and, um, uh, obviously, he was uh, Eisenhower in The Butler. Yes. I have other stuff I haven't seen. And, of course, he has this TV show, which I think, I, I'm not sure if it's been canceled or not, but it's got the crazy ones um, uh, with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. And he's got a bunch of stuff coming up. Uh, and this one is the, uh, looks like the first. So Angriest Man in Brooklyn. It looks kind of funny. He looks mostly mad. And it, it doesn't actually, uh, to me, it doesn't actually look like he ever gets happy. But, <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, if it's a really a redemption story. Angry Something about a cat fall, throwing itself out a window. Uh, and, you know, Mila Kunis is adorable as ever. So I, I, you know, I'll to me this movie looks like a satisfying renter, uh, and I, uh, I, I'll see it eventually. Now, Andy, please tell me how you really feel. Well, I I will say I, I can't blame any of my rage on on anyone involved in the Angriest Man in Brooklyn because it's actually a remake of a film, The Ninety Two Minutes of Mr. Baum, uh, that Asi Dayan had written. 
Um, now, it doesn't look like that film is actually in, uh, it's not even in IMDb, so I don't know um, where this film resides, but uh, Asi Dayan is from, uh, uh, I, I don't know, it's either Israel, Palestine or Israel. Israel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the two places, and uh, it's certainly a, a dangerous place to be, but he's over there and. Okay, so I think we've talked about my short film on the show before, right? Two minutes? I, I think that we have, but it may have been several years. It may have been a while. So anyway, I did a short film called Two Minutes in, in college, and um, it is about a man who learns that he only has two minutes left to live, more or less, and he has to figure <laughs> out what he's going to do with his time before he dies. Spoiler, now, it turns uh, out you only need two minutes. That's 90 right. minutes is way overkill. That's way too much time. I mean, really. No, so it's, you know, I, I saw that and it was, uh, it, it's like, it struck me. Actually, Chad and I were chatting because Chad, um, who we have on the film board periodically, he was my uh, lead actor in two minutes and he and I were chatting and he couldn't believe the trailer as soon as he saw it. Yeah. Uh, everything was just like so repetitive. Uh, you know, the car crash, the doctor's office, yeah. like everything is like, oh my gosh. So anyway, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's like having uh, having your, your family portrait taken and, and used by Google on a big billboard ad, you know, advertising yeah. something that you don't agree with or something. It's, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's just weird. Anyway, I'm not really that angry, but I, I, I hope they did a, a justice. Um, stealing my story and all that, but, you know. Uh, I there, prefer. Can I you honestly see? Do you what, have that up there anywhere? The two minutes. Yeah, is it's that on someplace? YouTube. It's on YouTube. I'll 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 give you the link and yeah. we can put it in the show notes. We should so totally do I, that. I want everybody who listens to the show to watch the either the trailer for the Angriest Man in Brooklyn or wait until the movie comes out, and then watch the short film and and which is now twenty five years old. It is. It is a God. Is really, it is probably well, that old, the, isn't yeah, it? About yeah. There. Twenty. Yeah. Twenty years. Hey, old. those were Jeez. the days. I Chihuahua. So yeah. Anyway, I am curious to see what they did with it. I think that Source Code did a better job of adapting my film um, and doing something interesting with it. But source code. Do, source code with uh, that was with the uh, Gyllenhaal. Dick Gyllenhaal, where he had eight minutes. Oh, I quite yeah. liked that. I really liked that. Film. We're gonna have to do a two minutes. Uh, the the people who the two minutes knockoff, two minutes yes. short film from college. Oh, Andy, <laughs> why have we not done that yet? <laughs> well, we were waiting for the angriest man in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we were. Uh, That's so fantastic. Yeah. All right, yeah. count me in. Uh, excellent. All right. Now you have a trailer that, uh, it doesn't look good. Okay. You're right. It doesn't look good. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, it looks straight up bad. Um, but I, you know, sticking with my thing, trying to stick with, uh, trailers for films that are found footage. I watched a lot of found footage. There's actually a surprisingly large number of found footage films coming out in 2014 and into 2015. Um, a lot of them uh, don't have uh, trailers out yet. Um, and a lot of the trailers that are out there just aren't that good. Um, I picked this one because it looked a little different than a lot of the other ones, which looked a little more just uh, like just reiterations of things that we've seen. And not that this one isn't, but... 
I don't know, it had a, a different twist a little bit. It's called The Last Diary of Nikita Rose. It's scheduled to come out in 2014, but it doesn't actually have any distribution yet. So I have no idea when it's going to come out. It, it has been featured on, uh, I think, some film magazines and things like that. So at least they're getting the word out. I'm guessing they're probably taking it to film markets and trying to get it out there. They actually even have a website uh, for the production company where you can support the filmmakers in the process of trying to get the film out. So if you like the trailer and you really want to give them some money so that they can try to find some distribution, then uh, we can certainly put that link in our show notes as well in case you are interested in doing that. Otherwise, check the trailer out. I mean, you know, it's it's basically a story of... Um, Nikita Rose, whose sister is attacked. They're talking on FaceTime, and her sister's attacked, and then she never sees her sister again. A year later, um, the killer is now going after her, I guess, and uh, things are happening around their house. She, she starts filming everything. She gets a CCTV system installed in the house, so hence the found footage. And, um, and then it's this stalker who's kind of like creeping around the house and we're just watching it on all the different things. And it looks, I mean, you know, it looks creepy. It looks, it looks like it could have some effective moments. I don't know if I'm going to give it uh, too much of a chance, but you know, I, I will commend the, the indie filmmakers who are trying to go out and uh, make something. Okay. I do too. I'm not, I'm not saying, I just think, <laughs> well, you get it. Yes, I get it. Okay, well, that, so that's trailers. Uh, you can find them at the uh, thenextreel.com. You can just look for them. They're, the trailers are always at the end of the show notes page for each uh, uh, each of our episodes. So you can go browse the old trailers and see what we've talked about and uh, catch up. That's what you should do. And now... Um, Let's fly! You're probably going to want to get this on camera. I don't want to do it. Dude, I don't want to do it. Okay, are you ready? Okay, Come on, do it. Give me a countdown. I will, okay. I promise. Ah! <laughs> Are we rolling? I'm gonna get the gum. Pull it right out of his mouth. <laughs> wait, 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 why are we ready? I got this one. Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> She's just looking at it. This is my theory, though, is that it's like a muscle. Watch this. Dude! Holy crap! That's why I think we're getting stronger, you know? It's... She thinks it's stolen. No yes, it was the black guy this time. Because <laughs> we're working it out. There's nothing stopping us. How is this guy's problem? Stop! Are you crazy? Why did you do that? What the hell is wrong with... Was it an accident, Andrew? Andrew? I'm worried about Andrew. Listen to me. We can't screw Wait, around with this. We, it's too dangerous. Andrew, it's what, not what, a what, game. Andrew! Stop this right now. You're making that sound. Guys, what is that? All right, dude, we're going inside. Steve, wait up. Matt, look at this. Holy. All right, Andy. So uh, this film, uh, Chronicle. Yes. I don't know if you've heard of this film. It's a, it's a found footage film. I haven't heard of it. Tell directed by, well, it's directed, it came out in 2012. It's directed by Josh Trank, written by uh, Max Landis, and uh, stars uh, the fantastic uh, Dane DeHaan. Who, Is it Dane DeHaan or Dane DeHane? I don't care. Oh, oh well. Honest to God, I just don't, I don't care. No, it's uh, probably Dane like... De, It's probably Dane DeHaan. De 
uh, because I'm typically wrong, uh, and you are <laughs> you are right. And but he here is a guy uh, who you know he's this always surprises me. The guy's been around much longer than I ever would have expected. Yeah, he really. So, it's like him. man, he's an overnight success who's been uh, in a lot of stuff that I've seen for years. Uh, but he, uh, let's see, he was in, uh, he's, uh, done a lot of, of, uh, uh, true blood. Uh, mostly what I, I remember him is that you never saw lawless. Did you? I didn't cricket cricket pate. He was fantastic in that film. Absolutely great. Uh, but mostly he is known, uh, coming right up in, uh, uh, amazing Spider-Man two. Well, he was in amazing, Sp- wasn't he in amazing Spider-Man? Nope, Did we meet Harry they, Osborn? We, we didn't, didn't meet, meet Harry, Harry Osborn. Osborn. So he's Harry Osborn and and Green Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man Two coming right up. Yes, indeed. And, uh, yeah. So uh, he was. Uh, he's in this film. Yeah, he's he he's kind of. I mean, I I don't want to say it was Chronicle that uh, that really kind of burst him onto the scene, but I mean, you know, like you said, True Blood in treatment. Some of those early projects that he was doing, he certainly made a name for himself, and I think Chronicle was probably like kind of a breakout role for yeah. him because then 2012 became really kind of a big year for him as far as film, you know, Chronicle, Jack and Diane, Lawless, The Place Beyond the Pines, Lincoln. Yeah. So he had a really great year in 2012. And, and 13 um, wasn't quite as big, but I mean, you know, Kill Your Darlings. I don't know what Devil's Knot is, but then he was in that Metallica um, the right. concert film, but he was in kind of the narrative half of it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's an actor that... I was surprised when I watched Chronicle. I, I mean, I really liked him. He stood out more than the rest of the guys. Well, actually, Michael B. Jordan really stands out, too. But um, I don't know. I guess I was kind of surprised that he was one of the ones that ended up taking off because he seems like one of those dark characters, that kind of a dark actor that you don't expect to be the one to kind of take off. Like, you expect to be uh, have the kind of the more pretty boy uh main character actually take yes. off alex yeah. russell right who i don't think quite took off as well i mean he has been he was in the host and carrie so he's definitely kind of gone the way of the of the the teen films yeah but i don't think in a way that has been as successful yeah you know it'll be interesting to see what happens uh to him he's got a couple of films uh coming out in 2014 uh and so you know we'll see what happens in general though in chronicle um yeah i like this film yeah i do too i really do um it's it's one of those films that uh, that captures it, it it feels like it's it comes at you in segments right it's kind of got this slow burn found footage thing going on in the beginning and it looks like a kid who's you know he's got dane Dehane, uh <laughs> who is who's uh, you know abused by his his drunk stepdad and his mom's dying and he is documenting the you know he's documenting who knows what his uh what got him to turn on the camera in the first place all we know is we we're, we open on this shot of the camera in the mirror uh, shooting the door as his his drunk stepdad is is banging on it. Is it his uh, stepdad or his dad? Is it his dad? I, I, I guess I always assumed it was father. his stepdad. Okay, well, abusive. Uh, so his abusive dad, um, and he. Uh, let's see. No, it was his dad. It was his Richard Detmer. His last name Detmer. Uh, so it's his dad who's a drunk and he's abusive. He beats him up. It's very sad, and so Andrew turns on the camera 
And that's that's the setup for the film that we have this single camera um, that documenting is just sort of that narcissistic documentation of of life. Well, um, and, and doesn't it also feel like right from the beginning it feels almost like he's using it as a weapon to yes. find a way to uh, to fight back at his father to help kind of maybe I mean it's not going to prevent the bu- the abuse so much as as give his father. Uh, um, a reason to maybe reconsider before he does it. Well, yeah, and... see, that's what I was going to say. It's a, it, it is a great example of him taking his power back, right? This is the only way he can because he's smaller and meeker than his dad. And yeah. and so this is the way he can do it. Just just document the proof. And if something goes wrong, he has it. Yep. Right. So so that's the setup. And the setup for me, I, I totally buy it. Like, I, I'm I'm in it at the beginning, and I, I enjoy it. It doesn't feel as, you know, we've talked about the sort of, um, you know, the the more broadcast news-oriented approach that we had in, in quarantine. Um, and, uh, you know, then we have the the party scene in, in uh, Cloverfield, which I recall you didn't buy quite as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you feel about this with Andrew turning on the camera? Well, so- okay. That's that's a, a a good question. That I mean, it, it obviously expands farther into the entire film. Well, it sure does, uh, and I, particularly in the second half of the film. And I want to talk about that because it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that works really well in quarantine, um, Cloverfield, even you know, to a certain extent, things like Blair Witch. Maybe and Blair Witch is actually a, an interesting comparison that we can mention. You're getting essentially like one camera, one tape. Hey, I found this footage. Let's put the tape in and watch it, right? Right. And that's essentially what those two, the the previous two films that we talked about, um, Cloverfield and Quarantine. Um, this is the, the first experience that we've had in our series where it's as if somebody found this footage, but then... Um, they decided to find more footage <laughs> that told other parts of the story, right? And with, then basically edited it all together with no explanation as to who they are, right? It's it, it's like a mystery, right? You know, there's there's an, an interesting, uh, another interesting found footage film. Um, gosh, I'm going to blank on his name right now. I'm going to uh, try to remember what it's called, but it's um it's one where you know a, a group of um uh you know people you know adventurers ghost hunters go into like a really creepy um abandoned old hospital and they're they're you know going to spend the night there and you know try to catch some ghosts on film that sort of thing and it's actually kind of a similar sort of story where they're you know they're filming it and uh but the the interesting thing about it is that at the very beginning of the film it's actually the producer. It's called Grave Encounters. The producer of the film, it, it, he's recording himself talking about how he sent them to film this thing, and he's horrified by what by what happened, and it's just a shock. But he wants to get it out there, and he sets it up with an introduction, and then the tape plays, and you get right. the footage footage from multiple cameras and everything. Because he said, "I wanted to put it together in a way that told the story." That's a really interesting experience where you actually get that person. You actually see the person who found the footage and explaining the footage and setting it up. This is an example of you've got, okay, I mean, right away we've got um, a Detmer's camera. So we know we're following him. Um, 
then all of a sudden we do get introduced to this girl, um, and uh, Monica, I believe, right? I thought it was was that was it Monica or Casey? Oh, Casey. Sorry, yeah, Casey, who um, has her camera, and she's also kind of documenting everything because you know kids are always right. running around with cameras, documenting everything. Now she's got her little video blog, as she says, and all of a sudden we cut to her camera, and we see uh, we see. Uh, Andrew filming and now all of a sudden actually this is before Andrew is filming I think this was Matt when Matt was filming at that first party and all of a sudden now you've got an, a way to actually intercut and you in a found footage film you are able to actually like a film cut back and forth between actors um, now that expands much more uh, later in the film but it's it's a really interesting way to do a found footage film that takes it out of the genre a little bit by expanding it to kind of any potential camera device that could be in the area um i, I guess the, the the challenge with the premise is buying into the fact that someone then gathered all this footage and assembled it um but i don't know i, I guess it didn't bother me too much in this it didn't bother me the first time i saw it for sure the experience was really quite good it was the second it, it was like the second and subsequent times watching this film that i started thinking too hard about it yeah and and i wanted i found myself really wanting a little bit of explanation as to why now not only do we have the two cameras which i already bought because i think you know they introduce the concepts in a very well-paced manner you know i mean it's they did it in a way and yeah i should add the the other uh, camera trick that they use since part of the the powers that these you know young men uh, mm -hmm. acquire is telekinesis a really interesting uh, and novel approach to camera work is being able to have one of the characters become a telekinetic cameraman and float the camera around them so now right. we have someone who where we're used to seeing in this um, you know in found footage films the cameraman is the doofus behind the camera that we rarely see now andrew who was originally the the cameraman is somebody who is a an active protagonist and up ends up becoming the antagonist of the film, yeah. uh, and and I think it 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 starts around him being able to use the camera in in a much um, you know more dynamic way uh, through his mind. But but the other piece was you know by the end of the film we're not only looking through Casey's camera and Andrew's floating camera, we're looking at police dashboard cameras and helicopter cameras and just random bystanders cameras in the buildings nearby and and there is so much footage that this person has collected this omniscient editor mm -hmm. uh that it, it starts to stretch the concept in a way that i think is is a bridge too far yeah even to the point i mean i really noticed it this time and i even wrote in my notes watching it i'm because you see as the two of them are fighting um uh, matt and andrew are having their last little battle yeah. and andrew turns and he like you know, all the cops are shooting at him and he's stopping all the bullets and then he kind of mentally like pushes everybody away. There are still like uh, there's still a couple camera people like some just, I don't know, random bystanders who happen to be in a position where Andrew didn't push him away, apparently. And they're he's like hiding, in the zone, <laughs> in the zone to the point where they are getting like extreme close ups of Matt and Andrew's face. And yeah. it's like, how, who is filming this? Yeah. Why did this person not get pushed away by Andrew? And, to, and it really kind of, I mean, it did, it really took me out of the film uh, because um, and I, I think that's the danger of found footage is because you, you have to buy into the conceit. Once you buy into the conceit, 
um, you can flow along with the film completely um, fine all the way through the film, unless they get to a point where it's, it starts feeling like they're stepping out of the conceit and they're cheating, and then it really uh, it can it can fumble. And I, I do feel like some of that stuff at the end, as much as I like the film, when I'm in the moment, I can go along with that. But when I'm paying attention, it really it really pulls me out of the film. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think that's one of the things that you get with with films like uh, Quarantine and even to some extent Cloverfield. But but Blair Witch is another one that just sort of defines the 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 modern take on the genre, which is a zealous uh, diligence to, you know, sticking to the conceit. Um, and but even that one is intercut between the the footage of them just kind of filming themselves and the actual 16 millimeter footage that they were filming of the documentary they were making. Right. Which is, which I contend is okay. I think where this one falls apart is in that third act when they just come off the rails and start using every camera. And, uh, and I think they get sloppy, um, in editing by, as you say, you know, letting go of the conceit to the point where the cameras are in a place that would have been, you know, th- that would have not have been possible, you know, uh, from, you know, the action on screen. Well, and to the point where, I mean, Andrew has to be like the world's biggest narcissist because when he is flying outside of the, uh, I think it's the, the restaurant, I think we need to create a new list um, we haven't done a list on our website in a while, but watching this, I'm like, we need to have a list of, you know, people falling off of the top of the Seattle Space Needle movies because we've got this <laughs> and Parallax View now. <laughs> but That's the um, the uh, he when he's floating outside of the restaurant at the Space Needle, he like blasts the the windows open and then he yanks out everybody's phones and and iPads and all of that and he sends them spinning around him and Matt um and, and there's no logical reason for that unless he just has to have cameras on him at all times right and uh other than for the filmmakers to be able to get any possible shot of the two of them floating Right, right. There's no logical reason for him to suck out all the cameras and have them spin around the two of them. That's right. It, I, I, that's that's where some pieces fall apart, and that's it's hard because the action in the last sequence. I think the the way the film converts, right, kind of halfway through. You know, we get the we, this is a superhero origin story, which is what you discover kind of in the second act as they're trying out their powers and they're exercising this muscle after they have come into contact with some alien uh, meteorite in the ground, and so they're they're given these powers. To, of telekinesis, which allows them to fly, and you get to see them stretching and you know trying new things, and they're having a ball, and then they realize they can play football at you know twenty thousand feet, and they can you know they can do all these wonderful things with these new powers, and 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 so then it becomes an exploration of of you know again of narcissism and of power and and you know not of st- these are stories we've seen before. It's just interesting to see the way the film turns into this a more uh, sort of a darker. Um, superhero, supervillain exploration, and and um, um, you know I I like that, and so I'm so in the action at the end. I find myself getting bitter at the fact that they just are take they keep taking me out of the uh, out of the story by monkeying around with the with camera choices. Yeah, I I think I'm really good all the way up until um, it, it's I think it's all the way up until Matt arrives or drives out with uh, with Casey drives 
to downtown to track him down. Yeah, I think that's about the point. Because I mean, I actually really love the this ex- exploration of kind of the the origin story, like you said, of Andrew becoming this dark force and and Matt trying to become a positive force and 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 Steve uh, Michael B Jordan, who is also fantastic in this film, um, as kind of this this guy that that Andrew looks up to and is kind of you know befriending and everything. And then there's it's an interesting turn that Andrew takes because of the death of Steve and also because of the death um, or the the illness of his mother, the fact that he can't get any medication for her, his father, his father is just a drunk. Um, and, uh, and then I, you know, the moment that I think is so powerful in this film that I think is just a, such a solid moment um, is when Andrew, he, he goes and ro- tries to rob a, a gas station to steal the money so that he can get the pills for his mom. Um, uh, it backfires on him. He ends up unconscious in the hospital. His dad comes to visit him and his dad, uh, played by Michael Kelly, who I think is, is generally great in, in projects, even Mm -hmm. though it's usually bit parts, but I always enjoy seeing him. Um, he comes in, he sees his son like wrapped up in bandages, unconscious lying on the bed and he starts weeping and he he sits down and he kind of bends over his son and he's crying and it's so touching because it in for me i thought oh see his father really does love him even though i mean yes he's abusive yes he's um he's having issues but he's unemployed he's trying to deal with you know taking care of his sick and dying wife you know and, and not that i'm justifying the abuse but i you know i th- i thought it was a really interesting portrayal of a father and i really liked what they were doing with that and then to have the father turn that emotion and his crying into um basically then blaming the son for the the death of the mother cuz the mom died uh, or not the death of the mother but the fact that um, he was out looking for his son, and while he was gone, the mom died. Absolutely. And it's just like when that hit, and it's just like, wow, he really does hate his son. It just like it, was, it really is a blow. And then the way that that unconscious um, Andrew kind of pulls the camera toward him, and then you know, at least I, I really that for me is such an emotionally powerful moment in the film, and I love how it's. Like, I totally buy into this origin story for a villain. I love it. It's such a solid, solid tale of Andrew. And I, I, mean, I think that's why this film stands up so much above the problems that it has with the found footage aspect of that third act. Because it's such a good story. Oh, I totally agree. You know, there are some other sequences in there that I find really compelling in addition to. I, you know, I, I don't think we can underscore that hospital sequence enough um, if, if only because of the performance of Michael Kelly. I mean, he oh, is yeah. unbelievably nuanced in that scene as he makes that transition uh, between, you know, the caring and, and I think loving father. I mean, I really get the, the like, I, I don't believe that he knows how to really love his son authentically. Like, yeah. th- this is the way he does it i don't think he hates his son i have feel like this is the pattern of abuse that has evolved and and uh you know so i i love the way he plays that change i mean it it is amazing yeah but there are also these sequences throughout the film of that that i find enormously rewarding in my lizard brain Uh, You know, and it starts in the, you know, once um, Andrew starts exercising his powers, you know, when he he's been bullied by this guy in school and and, you know, when he goes in and and um, is bullied again and the guy sort of breaks the camera. 
um, you know, the guy has sort of broken the camera and, and, you know, then he, he calls after the bully, Andrew calls after the bully and rips his teeth out. Yeah. Uh, that was, well, that was with gross. his mind, with, with his, his mind. mind, with his yeah. mind, that was gross. But then to cut to the bathroom stall and have him describing in the camera more as a diarist, um, you know, kind of a training uh, documentation, right? That says, you yeah. know, here's how I ripped the teeth out. These two broke because I didn't grab them at the root. Like that, that was a, ah, uh, that was a gut punch of a sequence. Absolutely. Again, with Michael Kelly, however, later when they, they can, you know, there's the confrontation in the basement. Um, and there is that change where Dehane, you know, stands up and, Ends up, you know, they, they end up throwing each other around and, um, you know, he throws Michael Kelly against the wall and screams in this guttural kind of bellow, I could crush you. Yeah. Uh, and you realize he's that he's made the turn, you know, yeah. like it's that's that's the end. Um, I, I found that really uh really fantastic those little sequences i think in general these guys the three guys you know make the transition together from uh you know awkward kind of you know family at first in the film you know they're cousins uh we get uh, matt and uh, andrew are cousins in the beginning and and they they evolve into high school buddies i think really well like it felt very authentic to me i think their performances were really strong it felt like my buddies in high school and they make the transition to sort of explorers really well and then uh ultimately to enemies uh really tortured enemies uh really well i i i loved it yeah they really do uh kind of make that whole transition because i mean even just a lot of the the scenes where they're screwing around learning their powers, like moving cars in parking lots or scaring children in the toy store with, by, by floating the little animal after the kids and things like that. I mean, it all feels like that was probably going on while they were supposed to be in school and they're ditching, you know, it just, it felt like, you know, this is just kind of what, what uh, teenagers do, you know, they're just out there causing trouble and everything. And I just, I really liked that vibe of, of of this film and also the fact that it did feel like it was taking place over a period of time like it felt like you know you'd hear a couple times you know, like where have you been for the last three weeks things like that so you get a sense that this is kind of evolving over the course of this probably you know the school year however long it was um as they were kind of exploring these powers and figuring out exactly what it was that they could do with it right but um yeah i i, I really actually enjoyed the relationship i enjoyed the the awkwardness of Andrew, the fact that he didn't like these parties. I mean, I do enjoy Matt, uh, Alex Russell's performance as Matt Garrity um, quite a bit. There's something very, um, like, I can see him taking up that with great power comes great responsibility mantle. He is that sort of, that guy that just seems to exude, um, uh, you know, making the right decisions. He He kind of, is a guy who just feels like he is uh, um, a good guy, you know, and I, I, I like that about him. And then Michael B. Jordan as Steve Montgomery. I mean, you know, he was just, uh, he just got a ton of accolades last year for Fruitvale station. Right. He's, he's a great actor and um, definitely somebody who um, warrants conversation, but his, his portrayal of Steve, I think is just so great because he's kind of just that popular uh, the popular kid, the the one who's not just popular 
uh, because he's like a jock or something, but he's like the guy who is running for um, student body president and you know, he just like people like him. And, but there's something kind of cocky and arrogant about him. And I love the way that Andrew ends up gravitating to that and how Steve, because of this friendship that they've formed, like you don't expect them to be the normal friends in school, but because of the whole thing, um, of this shared power. I love that scene where they have the, they, um, go on stage together for the talent show. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. It's just like, it's a great exploration of, of, you know, using your powers carefully just to kind of, you know, Find a way to get people to like you. Well, and a friendship that these three guys were doing this together. And yeah, they, right. the two of them were doing it as a way to change the identity or affect the identity of the third, I thought was just a really powerful bit. Yeah. And, and incredibly cool. Right, exactly. And then it's also heartbreaking because that, you know, that change in his life that's awfully sudden leads to kind of um, him starting his downfall because, you know, he ends up with the girl in the bedroom and things don't work out so well. He throws up all over her and it kind of crushes that spirit, that newfound spirit that he had to kind of be that, you know, be one of the cool kids now. And but now all of a sudden everyone's making fun of him again. And it's just it just goes to show it's the sort of thing that you see in a lot of high school sorts of, you know, horror films, whatever. That kid, they finally start making like Carrie, you know, they they make her feel like she's uh, she's great. She's crowned prom queen only to dump a bucket of pig blood on her. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I want to shout out to uh, Max Landis just in this context. Uh, Max Landis, the writer, um, you know, I I was watching a video of the three guys talking about their experience on this film and they were asked as most actors in found footage films are asked you know how much of this film was improv and the actors themselves said very little uh very little you'd be really surprised at just how much of this film was on the page uh and so i went you know we put the link to the screenplay in the show notes if you want to grab it at the next um i started reading the screenplay and my goodness uh, absolutely right. I mean, this uh, this Landis guy, man, does he know how to write high school dialogue? Like, uh, <laughs> it is, it's on the page, and uh, I think it's just executed really, really well. Um, very natural, very natural, and I think that's challenge. That's a challenge to do and and do it well, especially in found footage where it has to feel so authentic. Yeah, and you know, I. I mean, even, even when saying really sort of dumb stuff. Exactly, exactly. Right. But I mean, it does it does feel like somebody who was recently in high school. I mean, he was, how old was he when this came out? He was, uh, oh, he, he's young. I mean, he was. Yeah, he was just, you know, mid-20s. Yeah. So he wasn't that far out of high school. Right. Um, and, you know, he comes from a line of, of filmmakers, film people. John Landis is his dad. And, right. Uh, costume designer Deborah Nadulman Landis is his mom. So, but but his legacy does not distill in any way his talent for writing voices. No, exactly. Yeah, um, and he's got uh, he's got a lot of stuff uh, coming up in 2015. Uh, looks like a big year for him. Yeah, they uh, they were uh, Max Landis and Josh Trank um, were working on a sequel to this. They were hired to do a sequel. Actually, I think Josh Trank ended up not being uh, brought on to the sequel at some point. But Max was writing it. I think that Fox, uh, the reports were Fox wasn't happy with it. 
um, they were not going to move along with it. And uh, then yeah, new writers of, were taken over to write as of last summer. As of, yeah, last summer, this time last as, year. Yeah, new new writers were taken uh, hired to uh, write the sequel, and uh, I think Jack Stanley is set to write it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. And then um, you know Max Landis is keeping himself busy, and of course uh, Josh is going to be the uh, one helming the big old. Uh, speaking of Marvel earlier, yeah, the big old Fantastic Four reboot. Another reboot, younger cast. Yeah, I newer guess younger. That's, and actually, Michael B. Jordan is playing Johnny Storm. Uh, in that film, and I think uh, isn't somebody else in there? Uh, Jamie Bell and uh, Jamie Kate Bell. Mara. Kate Mara, right? And Miles Teller. Miles from, Teller, uh, that's right. Yeah, from Divergent. Divergent. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I I want to talk just a little bit about. Uh, speaking of a sequel, did you did you pick up the screenplay for Chronicle? Did yeah. you look? No, up? I didn't. I didn't. Okay, so the end of the film, as as much of the film is in the screenplay is on the screen, right? Much mm-hmm. of it is until, of course, the end. They always do something at the end. Right. I just want to tell you what happens at the end. Okay, yeah. First of all, the film takes place in Portland, so <laughs> go Portland. And why is that important? Um, okay, so you know the sequence at the end when they're standing in the in the um, in the square, and he's just uh, Andrew has just flung all the people in the cars away. Right, except uh, for the one, except for except the, one for the cameraman. cameraman. Yeah, no, never do the cameraman. <laughs> um, well, so he flings everybody away. Then, uh, page eighty nine. Matt swings an arm, blinding fast. The Triton of Portlandia, which is the big statue we have. Uh-huh. In Portland, uh, the Triton wielding arm of Portlandia bends jaggedly, bringing down the pitchfork hard first through Andrew, then into the pavement. So, apart from being Portlandia and having taking place in Portland, it's pretty much the same setup. Uh-huh. Andrew stands impaled, a look of shock on his face. Then Matt flails up his hand, the bullet lodged inside him fires out, striking Andrew in the head, killing him instantly. Okay, so that's a cool sequence, right? Because Matt at this point had been shot, and he he actually shoots from inside his body the wow. bullet and in lands in Andrew's head. So it's a, a little bullet exchange. Yeah. Uh, all of the floating people drop dazed. Matt collapses after a moment. The police advance. And and I should add, the setup to this sequence, remember in the sequence when uh, Andrew's playing with a spider and he, he lifts it up and he opens his right. hand and stretches the legs out and then ends up opening his hand in a snap, and all the legs fall off. Right. The setup to this sequence, instead of using that thunder shake where he pushes everybody out, he actually takes all the police and bystanders, picks them up, and uses his hand and expands them. And so their arms and legs go rigid, and you know that that's what's going to happen. He's about to rip the arms and legs off of all the police. That's when Matt swings his arm and and the Triton goes through him. So that's the setup, which I actually really like. I mean, I like that idea that it brings us back to that level of terror now uh, with people. But from here, uh, in the film, we cut to Matt, who has now flown to Tibet, Right. Right. And he does a little video about how much, oh, I love you. I miss you. You were, you were right. Here's Tibet. It's so beautiful. In the script, Matt is in a clean room. He is back is broken. He's full of bullets. He's bloody. 
he's begging the clean room operators to to help him to help him they keep looking for radiation they're doing all these things and suddenly his body starts to convulse his wounds start to heal his bones start to snap back into place and the two the men that are in the room are flung backwards the ex, the examination mirror the one way mirror shatters and all the military that are behind it are are now see that Matt has miraculously healed himself and he is standing up he bursts through and flies off screaming would you please turn off the effing cameras hmm. cut to korea this is all in the last two pages wow okay one of the the dam uh, there's a major dam um in uh, south korea uh it's a big hydroelectric dam it's about to burst it bursts water is flowing down we cut to now kim haisu a 17 year old high school student who is making his own found footage film, uh, documenting his father. The water comes crushing down. Everybody's in a major panic. In flies Matt Garrity, who is... Uh, this is uh, Now I have to read this to you. I'm sorry okay. this is going on so long, but you have to hear this. Looking effing great as he floats above the freeway. He pantomimes, yeah, bring it on, cheer louder. This gets the intended response, and he pumps his fist, shouting, F yeah, Korea! He turns, pretending to notice the oncoming flood for the first time. Mouths, oh, yes, points to the flood casually as it closes in. I should probably deal with this. Another huge ovation, and Matt smiles wildly as he nods, yeah. And then there's a huge sonic boom. He goes from zero to Mach 4 in less than a second, rattles the cars on the freeway, disappears, and suddenly the water begins to rewind toward the dam. He becomes essentially Superman, saving the day. Cut, Interesting. Slam to title on black chronicle. That's how the hmm. film ends. So that one does deal more with you know it, it ends with the true kind of birth of, of a superhero. Exactly. Whereas this one is really chronicling the the rise and fall of a supervillain. Right now, when you think about a sequel, does this give you more or less context in, in terms? Because, you know, part of it, I see the end of the way Chronicle ended, and it really could start with this sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, right, but, right. Now Matt is using his powers. Right, and, for and good. He's a good he's a superhero. Yeah, right. right. But what do you, I mean, what do you think? How did you, how do you feel about the ending, uh, you know, versus intended ending? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I like this ending. I, I don't think that ending would have worked for me so much because I felt like the film really was Andrew's. I didn't feel like it was Matt's film. Right. I think that would have been a surprise. Yeah. And if, if, the, if it ended with all of a sudden now we're focusing on Matt, you know, kicking butt and taking names, I don't know if it would have been as... as uh, if it would have worked quite as well for me, I don't think it would have it, it would have fit because the way that it ends where he goes to Tibet, I mean, that ties directly to Andrew and a comment that Andrew made earlier in the film about wanting to go to Tibet and wanting to see these monks and how peaceful it would be and all that. And I felt like, um, I, I don't know, I really liked that ending because to me it feels like Matt has found a way to say goodbye to his friend at least what part of you know what ended up being you know this this uh, crazy supervillain um he was saying goodbye to his friend that was inside that supervillain's body oh i like the way you put that so yeah that was nice yeah i, although, I find it really interesting although, 
Although I was going to say, it, you know, as an asterisk to that, again, it does make me wonder who in the, in the found footage uh, context of the story traveled all the way to Tibet to find this tape. <laughs> oh, here is the missing piece. <laughs> That's right, because he just walks away. Yeah, he, There's you know, he no indication yeah. that he right. has not left that camera there. That is a really be, good point. It's going to be there until the batteries die. And then it's sitting on top of a mountain. It's going to freeze. It's going to, the tape's going to die. Yeah, that is fantastic. I, after all of the overthinking I've done about this movie, <laughs> I never thought of that. That's awesome. <laughs> Who went uh, to Tibet? There's like no clue in the other found foot in the other footage that they found that this camera would end up in Tibet. There is no clue exactly. that that would ever happen. Well, he must have gone back to get it. He must have decided. Right. You know what? I should put a story together here. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this is it. Maybe it was Matt's. Uh, this was his whole story. That's the sequel. Is yeah. you know he decided he needed some money. He's going to sell his story to to Hollywood to make a movie out of. It. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, <laughs> but they're like, well, we need proof, and so he's collecting all the footage. That's right. You know, I just solved it. Well done. I feel better now. We, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the camera work. I think that really goes into some of the uh, production, the cinematography and editing, um, and the challenges obviously faced by the conceit that they set up. What else do you want to talk about in terms of the production? You have anything that stands out? You know, just the fact that this is a, a good example of um, modern film production when you don't have a huge budget to make a film particularly a budget that deals with a lot of effects you really have to find the right way to tell the story with um the money that you have in a way that uses the money to best use and for this film the best way they could do that was not actually filming in seattle uh, but it was actually filming in cape town south africa and in vancouver and I, I have to say, watching this film, it, it does surprise me quite a bit because I really, and I mean, I haven't been to Seattle in a very, very long time, but it strikes me, just like uh, um, Cloverfield did last week, that, wow, they really fooled me. I really felt like I was in uh, Seattle this whole time. Now, you, you are not that far from Seattle, so maybe you were less... Uh, uh, less fooled no i i wasn't i i was uh i was totally fooled and you know it, it's not like i was actively saying you know gosh i'm i don't know where that street is um but sure you know once they once they set the stage with the uh with the space needle mm-hmm. um i i never it never gave me any reason to question where this film was made yeah right and i think that's a real testament to it i'm, I'm with you i was i was snookered yeah and that's just, you know, I think that's that's great. The fact that they they fooled us into thinking it was there. But by doing that, by filming in Cape Town and in Vancouver, they probably were able to take so much more money from the actual production itself and put it on screen. And, right. you know, that's that's exactly what you have to do. And that's, you know, it's it's the way of things now where you really have to kind of use these tax incentives and and uh, more affordable cities to film in in order to make uh, you know, the film that you want with the budget that you have. Did you see the uh, the promotion, the stunt promotion they did with this? For this um, film, I, the the I New York flying people? I didn't. I didn't. This was brilliant. I, I put a link in the show notes for this one where uh, to a, a video that they put up on YouTube uh, well after the fact. Uh, what they did was they commissioned these guys to go out and make these three life-sized, like human-sized um, drones, like flying drones. 
Mm -hmm. And they stood on one side of the river uh, outside of New York City, and they launched them into the air, remote-controlled, flying people drones. Nice. And they flew them in and out of the bridge and over and around the uh, Statue of, of Liberty. And, you know, all everybody who saw them, when you look at them at that distance, it, it was not uh, beyond the realm of uh, possibility that you would not look at those and say, oh, my gosh— I can't. I can't tell. That's a drone. That actually, it looks like people. What are they doing? Like, obviously, <laughs> your mind is saying, "Wow, that's a drone," but your heart is saying, "God, I hope they just discovered how to fly." Right. Uh, and it was so. It was perfect. Like it was really perfect. And so this video, unfortunately, is a little bit like it. It peels back the curtain a little bit too much, and and you know, you actually see that they're really, you know, they're like. A balsa wood <laughs> like yeah. drones to foam foam core <laughs> but but they it's really cool and it was a really cool promotion um that they they put together for this and it got a lot of people uh you know sharing photos uh from inside new york city saying oh my goodness there are people flying in and out of the buildings uh between the that buildings is, downtown and i thought it was really clever that is so cool i totally missed that whole thing i don't i didn't even hear about that so yeah. that's wild yeah it was pretty neat Wow. So uh, the movie was a surprise hit. Yeah, it really did well. I mean, it opened in early February um, in 2012. And, you know, same year, actually, as uh, as Cloverfield, just, uh, I think, a uh, different time of year. But the, um, oh, sorry, no, wait, Cloverfield was, what, 2008. I have that yeah, backwards. Yeah. Um, Chronicle, uh, yeah, it, it had a budget of about $12 million, and then Princeton Advertising, about $28 million. So they actually spent a lot of money marketing this film, probably making Balsawood people. It was drones, yeah. It was yeah, it was, it was the drones. Um, <laughs> this film um, ended up making, uh, domestically, it made about uh, not quite $65 million, and internationally, uh, about $62.5 million. So... All told, it really did well for itself. And um, when you adjust it and everything, it ended up making about uh, just over $1 million per finished minute. So it, uh, it did well for itself. It's a, uh, it's a fine film. It is. I it, mean, you got to get past the conceit of the found footage in this because it does kind of fall apart a little bit in that third act. But you have to, I, I mean, I really think you have to celebrate the the way they approached that conceit. And I think they, you know, up through the, you know, the second act, they, I think they really nailed it. And they, they introduced concepts to found footage that, I, you know, I... I hadn't seen done or really fleshed out before, and I thought it was really interesting. Just like Cloverfield did the tape rewind thing, which I thought was really clever. Uh, I think, you know, using the story as a way to really augment found footage, conceit here worked very well overall. Yeah, the the floating camera and everything. You're yeah, right. I mean, there's yeah. so much stuff with the, the way they played with that that I think is just stellar. Yeah, really. I mean, and I do. I totally love this film. I think that I'm being just a little hard on it because when you look at it critically, it doesn't uh, doesn't hold up quite as well. But it is such a. I mean, the story. If if it wasn't uh, such a strong story, I think it'd be um, a lot easier to let those things uh, uh, really just uh, um, stick in my craw. Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, I think it's probably time to uh, rate it. I let's think flick, it is. Let's, let's flick chart. Let's. Um, you, if you head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, if you, if you were to go there, uh, you would find 
our stack rankings of every film we've uh, we've talked about on the show, and you can see kind of how they stand up next to one another. And that flick chart that's a that's a clever tool. I'm not lying. It is. It is it a is. really fun tool. And and so uh, with that, uh, let's do it. All right, here we go. Chronicle or Gattaca? I think you're going to say Chronicle. I am going to say Chronicle. Yeah, I think I will too. Yeah. Uh, Chronicle or uh, Moneyball? <laughs> I think you're going to say Chronicle. I, I think I am. See, I was going to say Moneyball. I, I'm really torn on that one because I think Moneyball is uh, a stronger film. Yep. Chronicle is a more fun film to watch. And it you know, does actually, really interesting things inside the genre. But in terms it, of an overall, the strength of the film. You're right. I'm going to say Moneyball now. All right. <laughs> you, you won me over. All right. Chronicle or The Natural? Hmm. <laughs> I'm totally chronicle I'm, on this one. Are you really? I, yeah, I I will perpetually have problems with The Natural. As much as I love the film, it's always going to be the that weird ghost baseball movie for me. <laughs> I just, I know it's just I'll, nonsense. I'll say but... Chronicle and, and just, <laughs> just for tradesies. There you go. Oh, Chronicle or the Social Network? We haven't done Social Network in a oh, while. Oh, I know. You know, I'm going to say I've... Social Network. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Chronicle or Marathon Man? Oh, is it safe? Is it safe? I might, I'm gonna, probably going to have to say Marathon Man. I'm a little torn on that one. I feel like I might say Chronicle. Mm. Why? Why Marathon Man? Uh, again, there's something about the intensity of that of that film and of uh, of his performance that just is. It really is a visceral kind of. It burns into my memory. You know, I mean, it's a film that I. It's it's dark and grim and it ends not really well. It's just sort of hopeless. And yet I think it is a testament to filmmaking in the seventies. And I, I, uh, I feel like it's a, it's kind of a classic and Chronicle isn't there yet. Yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm going to go with marathon, man. There's something about the, even just the way they do the flashback scenes yeah. of Dustin Hoffman's childhood when his father kills himself. There's oh, something yeah. really, uh, interesting the way they play with that stuff with with giving you hints of things without just coming out and blatantly saying it so yeah i'll i'll go marathon man right. I, I can i can buy into that all right chronicle or joe versus the volcano <laughs> i've uh, got to go joe versus the volcano it's wow i know i just i love it what can i say wow i mean i you know i do too I feel like I we're think, gonna, I, I feel like we're gonna get letters. I, I feel like we may, <laughs> but you know what? I think there's. I know a lot of people hate. You know what? Book, you know, Cameron, but... Cameron L. Ryan's gonna write you. I'm almost sure of it. <laughs> Maybe sure? Leisha Lynn. Uh, definitely Leisha. They're not gonna be happy with that. No, she's gonna leave us another uh, I little think, flick chart comment. But... Yeah, in this case, I I would go Chronicle. I don't know what we're gonna do. Are we gonna Are we gonna rock paper scissors it again? Well, I don't know. I mean. I feel like it's generally. I mean, I love, I, I love it, but I, I, I love both these films. But I think, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, Joe vs. Volcano, um, there's man. there's something really interesting going on with the story in Joe vs. the Volcano that I latch on to, and I, I know it's a problematic film um, on a lot of levels, but I I feel like it. There's a level of ambition in that film that John Patrick Shanley um, really uh, 
you know, put himself to task to make a film that was really daring and ballsy about a guy who has to go throw himself into a volcano and, you know, to find himself again. And I, I love the story of him uh, taking that journey and that whole fairy tale aspect of the story and uh, just the, the, the quest to become that hero again. Is this the last film that we're, we have to rank against or is there another one? coming? No, out? there's going to be uh, one or two more. I think one more. All right. All right, I'm going to give you Joe versus Volcano, but only because we have history. <laughs> You're a giver. <laughs> you, my friend, are a giver. Uh, Chronicle or Splash? <laughs> Chronicle. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll give you Chronicle. There you go. Chronicle. All right, there you go. <laughs> Number 47. All right. 47 out of 127. Crack the top 50. Yeah. There you that's, go. That's it. That's that's good. Do you have do you have quick view of our of the the relative rankings of the other found footage films handy? Cloverfield, um, um, quarantine. How did this do against those? Um, let's see here. Um, well, where what are we going to do next week? You tell them what we're going to talk about next. Well, week. I, I I'm excited about next week because uh, I have not seen the film that we're doing next week, and you have. This was your uh, this was your pick. You 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 stand by that. I am uh, quite is excited about it. Yeah, Troll Hunter, 2010, Troll Hunter, uh, directed, <laughs> written and directed by Andre Orvdal. <laughs> Andre Uverdal. Uh It is a it's a, a, a film out of Norway. It's in Norwegian about a group of students investigating a series of mysterious bear killings. Turns out, spoiler, it's a troll. <laughs> they ain't bears. <laughs> oh no. Uh, and so <laughs> this looks good. It's got uh, it 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 looks good. I don't know anybody who's in the cast. No, nope, I don't either. Nope. <laughs> Um, there a lot of people with O's in their names that have lines through it, and to me, those just look like zeros. <laughs> I guess that's the silent zero. I don't know the silent zero. I uh, there's a that there is a language that I know very little about Norwegian. But it's exciting to kind of explore a different sort of uh, you know almost a little kind of a, a fantasy film, kind of yeah. a fantasy. I don't know if I'd call it a thriller horror sort of thing. Um, it's definitely kind of maybe fits in line with Cloverfield as far as kind of the, the monster movie sort of thing. Um, it's a lot of fun and I'm really excited to watch it uh, a second time and uh, just see if it holds up um, because <laughs> it's, it is, a, it's just a really, it really took me by surprise. So I can't wait. I'm, I'm absolutely looking forward to this. The trolls, you know, I, unfortunately I've been spoiled. I've now seen the trolls. Because <laughs> you know well, it's on the cover artwork. I was gonna say, <laughs> you know, it's like just, quarantine. Really, just like quarantine. They really don't uh, hold things back. Yeah. It's a bit disappointing. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess they're they're just putting it all out there. Yeah, yeah. But well, still, it looks very interesting. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up our found footage uh, series with Troll Hunter 2010 out of Norway. So check that one out. It is Thanks. available for rent on uh, iTunes. And, and it's like streaming that. for free on Netflix right oh, now. Oh, it is on Netflix right now. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, all right. So, of our stacked uh, rankings, Chronicles coming in at number 47. Then we have 
uh, Quarantine at 82 and Cloverfield at 88. All right. Well done, Chronicle. I feel that's right. I do, too. I actually feel that's... The ranking of those three films, I feel like that's how I would go about it. Me, too. Anxious to see how uh, Trollhunter fits in. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Uh, I think we're... Are we done? Do we have anything else I I think we're done. I think we did it. Hey, well done. I got to go to bed. I'm going to go dig up this strange uh, glowing rock that landed in my backyard. Mm, Hit it with a hammer. Yeah. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.